إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So last week then we began the topic regarding the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and we were going to discuss or we began discussing the status of the companions and our position towards the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that we love the companions and we do not try and pick faults with the companions We do not try to find errors of companions, rather we speak good of them, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already mentioned, radiyallahu anhum, that Allah is pleased with them. We should also mention before moving on, who exactly are the companions? We began talking about our position towards the companions and the status of the companions last week. But how do we identify the companions? We did it before. What is the definition of somebody who qualifies as a companion? When we talk about the companions, the sahaba, then what is the definition qualifying who the companions are? who the Sahaba are. Somebody who met the Prophet wasallam and died upon Islam is almost there as a complete definition, but something missing. So somebody who met the Prophet wasallam believed in him at the time, and then died upon Islam. To exclude those who met the Prophet ﷺ whilst they were still kuffar, and then later accepted Islam and died upon Islam. So they would be excluded from the definition of a companion because they never met the Prophet ﷺ whilst they themselves were actually believers in him. So it's got to be that a person has already accepted Islam and then meets the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that could be at the same time. He accepts Islam and meets the Prophet sallallahu and then dies upon Islam. What about a person who is a believer, meets the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, believing in him is a believer, then apostates after that. But then, repents and comes back to Islam before dying. Is that person considered a companion or not? A person is a believer, met the Prophet ﷺ as a believer, but then apostated afterwards, but then returned back to Islam, repented and returned back to Islam, and then died as a Muslim. He is classed as a companion or not?
Mustafa tua. The companions. So they met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Somebody who met the Prophet sallallahu was a believer in him. Died upon Islam. All that's there. But he apostated in between. He apostated. Kafir. He came back to Islam afterwards, but never got to meet the Prophet again. So it was only that first time before apostating. So is he a companion or not? Companion? Companion? So it's a difference of opinion between the scholars, but the strongest position seems to be that such a person would still be deemed a companion. Because even though he may have apostated, something occurred, in the end he repented, came back to Islam and died as a Muslim. And prior to that, he had met the Prophet ﷺ, believing in him at the time, and in the end did die upon Islam, even though there was the patch in between where he apostated. The majority or the strongest position is that this person would be considered a companion. <coughs> so they are the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. We came across some of the narrations last time. The Prophet ﷺ said, لا تسبوا أصحابي Do not curse my companions. Do not abuse or criticize my companions. فَلَوْ أَنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَوْ أَنْفَقَ لَوْ أَنْفَقَ مِثْلَ أُحُدٍ ذَهَبًا If one of you was to spend in charity gold to the amount of Mount Uhud, مَا أَدْرَكَ مُدَّ أَحَدِهِمْ وَلَا نَصِيفَةٍ You would not be comparable to even a handful or half a handful of what they gave in charity. Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ said, أَصْحَابِي كَالنُّجُومِ بِأَيِّهِمْ اقْتَدَيْتُمْ اِهْتَدَيْتُمْ This narration we mentioned, there was some issue regarding it. And it was the narration saying that my companions are like the stars, whichever one you follow, you'll be guided. The overall meaning though, generally, applies that we do follow the companions. It is the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Sahaba, the understanding of the Salaf. They were the ones who witnessed the revelation coming upon the Prophet ﷺ. They were alive at the time when that revelation was coming. And they witnessed that revelation coming to the Prophet ﷺ. They studied and learned directly from the Prophet ﷺ. Whenever they had questions about their religion, directly to the Prophet ﷺ. So no doubt they have that superiority. And it's mentioned in another hadith in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, the hadith of Imran ibn Hussain, radiyallahu anhu, and others, that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, خَيْرُ النَّاسِ قَرْنِي ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ That the best of the people, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, 
the best of the people are my generation. His generation were the companions. His companions, they were his generation. The Prophet said, the best of the people are my generation. The companions. Then those who follow them, the next generation, the tabi'een. Then those who follow them, the atba' al-tabi'een. So you have the sahaba, then the next generation, their students, then the next generation, their students. Three generations. They are mentioned as the best of the people. The best of the people are my generation, the Sahaba first. Then those who follow them, the next generation, the Tabi'een. Then those who follow them, the Tabi'een, the third generation, they are being mentioned with this virtue. And that is why the majority of the scholars, they mention that the Salaf are those first three generations. And that narration highlights there the virtue of those first three generations. But bear in mind, we always say, As-Salaf As-Salih. As-Salaf As-Salih. The righteous Salaf. Because not everybody in those first three generations were upon righteousness. People of innovation began in those first three generations particularly in the second and the third, the people of innovation began in those days. They existed in those days, in those early generations. So they are not considered from the Salaf. Those people of innovation who were alive in those early generations, they are not considered from the Salaf. That's why you say, As-Salaf salih the righteous Salaf, meaning the ones who were upon the teachings of the Prophet Wasallam. Not the people of innovation and the sects that started to emerge in those first three generations. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned regarding the virtue of them. Uh, similarly, here, Al Imam Al Tahawi says, "Wala nufrito fi hubbi ahadin minhum." That we don't go to exaggeration, though. We've now been speaking about the virtue of the companions, speaking about the status of the companions and that we love the companions. But we don't go into exaggeration and extremism like some of the groups of deviation do. For example, the Shia. Some of the Shia, they go into extremism regarding some of the companions in both ways, they go into extremism in declaring some of the companions as kuffar, and they go into extremism in declaring others like Ali ibn Abi Talib to have uluhiyya in him, to have aspects of lordship in him. So they have excessiveness on one side when it comes to Ali radiallahu anhu and the family of the Prophet but then they have exaggeration the other way in declaring other sahaba to be kuffar. So Imam al-Tahawi says we don't have any of this exaggeration, this ghulu, this extremism, excessiveness. Our religion in all aspects 
warns against extremism, excessiveness, exaggeration. Never that type of thing in anything. When it came to the Prophet ﷺ, we mentioned that he is the messenger of Allah, the highest messenger, the best of creation, but at the same time he is a servant of Allah. We don't go into exaggeration saying he was made out of light and he walked without a shadow and he knows the unseen. We don't go into extremism like that, into excessiveness like that. So he mentions here Imam al-Tahawi, we don't go into those types of affairs. وَلَا نَتَبَرَّأْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ مِنْهُمْ And Imam al-Tahawi says, we don't declare our innocence from any one of the companions. Unlike the people of deviation like the Shia, who declare their innocence from Abu Bakr and Umar and many of the Sahaba. So we are not we are not upon the ways of the people of innovation like that. We love all of the companions. We do not reject any of the companions. We do not go into excessiveness with any of the companions, but rather we recognize the status of them all. And that doesn't mean that they were all the same status. Some of the Sahaba were greater status than other Sahaba. No problem in that. For example, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq obviously is higher status than other companions. Umar ibn al-Khattab is higher status than others. Uthman ibn Affan, Ali ibn Abi Talib, they are obviously higher status than other companions. So no doubt, there are companions who have higher status than other companions. The Muhajirun, for example, the Muhajirun, the ones who used to be in Mecca and they left everything and made the migration, to Mecca, to Medina, they left everything and went to Medina, the Muhajirun, they have higher status than the Ansar, the ones who were in Medina already. The Muhajirun, they sacrificed so much and they were in Islam from the early days. So they are recognized as higher status than the Ansar. <coughs> the Sahaba who participated in the Battle of Badr in the early days, they are considered higher status than those who came later and never participated in those battles. So no doubt there are different levels of status amongst the companions, but we recognize that all of them have status. And that even the lowest status companion is superior than the highest status of anybody else after them. Imagine now in the second generation there were some big imams of the sunnah. In third generation, fourth generation, fifth generation, some of the big imams that you've heard of, Ibn Taymiyyah, etc. Even the lowest status companion is superior to anybody else who comes afterwards. All of those big imams from the time of the salaf that you hear about, none of them are comparable even to the lowest status companion. Even though some of those big imams from the second generation, third generation, some of them may have been more knowledgeable in some areas of the religion than some of the Sahaba. Possible. It is possible. Some of the big imams of the second and third generation, they may have been more knowledgeable than some of the Sahaba. Because imagine the Sahaba... There were so many of them, and some of them, they used to come and meet the Prophet ﷺ once and then go back to their country and never come back again. 
So their level of knowledge and how much they actually gained would not be as much as some of these big imams from the second century, from the second generation, who studied and learned and chains of narration. It's possible, but even though that's possible and it occurred, those big imams who may have been superior in knowledge to some of the other Sahaba from the lower status Sahaba, those lower status Sahaba are still considered superior to these imams overall. Because they have got one thing that these other imams, no matter what knowledge they got, haven't got. And that is the fact that they are Sahaba. They met the Prophet ﷺ. The very fact that they met the Prophet ﷺ gives them a superiority that nobody else can ever have after them. Nobody else in the second generation, third generation, no matter what level of knowledge they get to, the likes of Imam Ahmad, great scholars, huge imams in knowledge and status, Al-Imam Malik, etc. But they are not comparable even to the lowest Sahabi. Because even that Sahabi has something they don't have, which is Suhba. The fact that he met the Prophet ﷺ and they didn't. Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Ahmad, Al-Imam Shafi, great scholars, but they never met the Prophet ﷺ. So they have that superiority and that status in their knowledge, in their level. But there's one thing every companion has over them, which is companionship. The fact that they met the Prophet ﷺ. And that cannot be competed with. You cannot compete with that characteristic. That characteristic cannot be competed with and cannot be superseded. The fact that they met the Prophet ﷺ. They had that honor that Allah gave them of meeting the final messenger. So the companions in amongst themselves do have different levels. But even the lowest level of the companions, they are superior to the highest level of the next generation. That is what Al-Imam Al-Tahawi is now going to go on to discuss to some degree. He says, وَنُثْبِتُ الْخِلَافَةِ بَعْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أَوَّلًا لِأَبِي بَكْرِ الصِّدِّيقِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ تَفْضِيلًا لَهُ وَتَقْدِيمًا عَلَى جَمِيعِ الْأُمَّةِ He says, we affirm the leadership, the caliphate of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq <coughs> radiyallahu anhu after the messenger sallam passed away. And that is a preference to him and precedence to him over all of the ummah. The scholars, they differed as to whether Abu Bakr was the first Khalifa by text of the Quran and the Sunnah or by the decision that was made thereafter. <coughs> the fact that he was the first Khalifa absolutely agreed upon. He is the one deserving to have been the first Khalifa. No difference in that. Absolutely agreed. He was the first Khalifa and deserving to be the first Khalifa. Nobody says, well, maybe somebody else should have been the Khalifa. None of that. Everybody agreed 
he was the one deserving to be the Khalifa after the Prophet ﷺ agreed upon by the Ummah. The only difference is, was he deserving to be the Khalifa because it says so in the Qur'an and the Sunnah directly? Or is it the case that it doesn't actually say it anywhere directly about him, but it was the choice made that he is to be the first Khalifa? There are scholars who say it is mentioned in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. There are evidences that indicate Abu Bakr should be the first Khalifa directly. There are evidences, some scholars say, in the Qur'an and the Sunnah that indicate directly that Abu Bakr is to be the first Khalifa. And if that's the case, then the Qur'an and the Sunnah is telling us Abu Bakr should have been the first Khalifa anyway. What evidences do they talk about? Uh, there is a hadith, for example, Atat imra'atun hadith in Bukhari of Jubair ibn Mat'in Qal atat imra'atun an-nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam A woman came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a woman came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam فَأَمَرَهَا أَن تَرْجِعَ إِلَيْهِ And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told her to come back later. She had some issue, some question. He told her, come back to me later. قَالَتْ She said, أَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ جِئْتُ فَلَمْ أَجِدْكَ she said, what if I come back later and I, and I don't find you? You're not here, you've gone, you're busy somewhere, I, I don't catch you afterwards. What if I come back afterwards and I can't get hold of you? So then the Prophet ﷺ said, and what she meant by that as well was, what if I come back later and I can't get hold of you because maybe you've passed away too? What if I come back later at some other point and I don't find you in future. You passed away as well. She meant that too. So the Prophet ﷺ said, "In lam tajidni, in that situation, if you don't find me, then in that case, fati Abu Bakr. Then in that case, go to Abu Bakr." So that's the kind of evidences the scholars they say shows you by actual hadith that Abu Bakr was to be the first Khalifa. Because the fact that the Prophet is saying, if I'm not here, then refer back to Abu Bakr. Clear indication that he is now to be the first Khalifa after I die. So that is one clear evidence. Uh, that is a clear evidence directly stating the fact that the caliphate, the khilafah, is to go to Abu Bakr upon the death of the Prophet ﷺ. The fact that the Prophet ﷺ is telling the woman, after I go, you refer to Abu Bakr. Then also, in another narration of Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. He says that the Messenger ﷺ said, اقتدوا بالذين من بعدي That he said to everybody, follow those two who come after me. Follow the two who come after me. He told everybody, follow the two, the two people who come after me. 
And then he mentioned the two names in order. The first one, Abi Bakr, and then Umar. So he's now telling everyone, the Prophet ﷺ is telling everyone, follow the two who come after me. Who are those two? The first one, Abu Bakr. So again, that seems to be a clear evidence showing that the Khilafah was for Abu Bakr after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. In another hadith, which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, hadith of Abu Hurairah, <coughs> radiyallahu anhu, it mentions a dream that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had. A vision that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had. In this vision, the Prophet says, Baina ana na'imun, that whilst I was asleep, رَأَيْتُنِي عَلَىٰ قَلِيبٍ I saw myself at a, a well, water well. He said, whilst I was asleep, I saw myself at a water well. عَلَيْهَا دَلُو There was a bucket upon it. فَنَزَعَتُ مِنْهَا مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ So the Prophet said, I dipped in that bucket and took out Whatever amount of water Allah willed that I was taking out. Then he says, ثُمَّ أَخَذَهَا After I finished getting the water out with that bucket. This is in the vision the Prophet ﷺ had. Saw himself at a well getting some water out with this bucket. Then after he finishes, he says, ثُمَّ أَخَذَهَا إِبْنُ أَبِي قُحَافَ That after that, Ibn Abi Qahafa, which is Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr took it off me. He was the next one in line who took the bucket off me. فَنَزَعَ مِنْهَا ذَنُوبًا أَوْ ذَنُوبًا He pulled out a bucket or two buckets worth. Uh, and then it carries on about mentioning Umar came after that and he pulled out a huge amount of water indicating the strength of Umar etc. as well and the strength of his Khilafah when the conquering occurred of different lands. But the point of the narration being, after the Prophet ﷺ finished pulling the water out from that well, in his vision, he sees the very next person in line as Abu Bakr. So that again is another clear indication that the first person deserving to be the Khalifa by the hadith itself was Abu Bakr. He was the one the Prophet ﷺ saw in the dream coming in line next after him for the water. That indicates he is the one coming next in line for the Khilafah after the Prophet ﷺ dies. So that is another evidence used. So these are all evidences the scholars used to say that in the hadith itself, in these various hadith, they are telling us that Abu Bakr is the one deserving of the Khilafah. That is by text of those narrations. And there are other examples too. A famous example that is often quoted as well 
is when the Prophet ﷺ was in his final illness, when the Prophet ﷺ was in his final illness, and he was in pain and illness, and he couldn't go out to the mosque to lead the prayer. He couldn't go out to the mosque to lead the prayer because of that illness he was in before dying. In that final illness, the pain and everything, he couldn't go out to lead the prayer. So who did he put in charge to lead the prayer? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiyallahu anhu. He was the one leading the prayer in the absence of the Prophet Again, that indicates to you that the next in charge is Abu Bakr. When the Prophet can't lead the prayers, Abu Bakr is the one stepping up and leading the prayers. So all of these evidences clearly indicate the Khilafah had to go to Abu Bakr next. No dispute about that. No dispute. Then after, and he is of course the best of all of the companions. After the prophets and messengers, the best of all of this ummah is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. In one narration it mentions if the iman of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was put into one side of the weighing scale and the iman of all of the other ummah was put into the other side, the iman of Abu Bakr would outweigh everything else. So that is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. After that then, Umar ibn al-Khattab. And Al-Imam Al-Tahawi mentions that now to say that after the Khilafah of Abu Bakr, we affirm the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab. We affirm the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab. And that was by indication of Abu Bakr in leaving the choice. And then that choice was made upon Umar ibn al-Khattab. So Umar ibn al-Khattab no doubt was the second Khalifa and deserving to be the second Khalifa. We've already mentioned one evidence that indicates that. The dream you could mention because after the Prophet Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu was next to dip the water out and after him next in line was Umar ibn al-Khattab in the dream. That would indicate it. Also there was a narration about <coughs> following the two after me, Abu Bakr and then Umar. So all of these narrations again highlight clearly and by the agreement of the Ummah that Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu that he was the next to be the Khalifa. Then Al-Imam Al-Tahawi mentions, ثُمَّ لِعُثْمَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ And then the Khilafah of Uthman رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ Again, without dispute, without dispute, Uthman is the third Khalifa. Agreed upon, Ummah agreed upon. Uthman ibn Affan was deserving to be the third Khalifa. No dispute. And again, if you look into the Sunnah, you'll find many virtues for Uthman ibn Affan. From amongst these virtues was the wealth that he would spend in the path of Allah. The wealth that Uthman ibn Affan spent in the path of Allah, preparing the armies for jihad, etc. So he is no doubt the third 
And there are many virtues mentioned about him. In one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, "Ala astahi min rajulin tastahi minhul malaika." Should I not be shy from a man whom the angels are shy from? And that is in reference to Rahman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu. He is also known as a name for him, the possessor of the two shining lights, the famous name Dhun-Nurayn. Dhun-Nurayn, the possessor, the one who had the two lights. And what is that in reference to? The fact that Uthman ibn Affan was married to the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ. And then she died. When she died, the Prophet ﷺ married his other daughter to Uthman ibn Affan. So Uthman ibn Affan was married to one of the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ. When she died, then he married another one of the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ. She died too. When she died, the Prophet ﷺ said, If I had a third to marry to you, then I would have married to her to you also. So he is known as Dhun Nurain, the possessor of the two lights. Then after that, Imam Tahawi says, Thummali Ali ibn Abi Talib. And then we affirm the Khilafah of Ali ibn Abi Talib. These four in this order, there is absolutely no dispute. Do not be confused with a discussion that is sometimes mentioned, a discussion that occurred between the scholars some centuries ago, when they used to talk about the difference between Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhuma. The scholars of the Sunnah, Ahlul Sunnah, had a discussion at one time some centuries ago regarding Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhuma. Scholars of the Sunnah, Ahlul Sunnah, had a discussion and a debate over this topic. But you have to be careful in understanding what that discussion and debate was about. It was not categorically, it was not whether Ali radiallahu anhu should have been the third Khalifa. That was never a discussion point. The discussion point was, even though they absolutely united and agreed Uthman ibn Affan was deserving of the Khilafah as third, and then Ali as fourth, agreed. They were discussing, despite that agreement, can we say in terms of virtue, not in terms of who has the right to be the Khalifa, Uthman does, but in terms of virtues, could we say that Ali has more virtues than Uthman in that regard? Even though, Uthman is the one absolutely deserving of the Khilafah as number three. No dispute in that. They're just saying in terms of the narrations, because there are many narrations in the Sunnah where the Prophet ﷺ praised Abu Bakr, praised Umar, praised Uthman, praised Ali. They were saying when we look at all those, is it possible to say in terms of the virtues that maybe Ali has more? 
Even though in terms of the Khilafah, no doubt Uthman is the third Khalifa, has the right to be the Khalifa. Just in terms of that angle of virtues, does Ali have more? Does he or not? That was a discussion that occurred amongst the scholars some centuries ago. They were looking at all of the virtues mentioned about Uthman ibn Affan, many a hadith. They were looking at all the virtues mentioned about Ali ibn Abi Talib, a hadith, many a hadith. And they were discussing, can we say overall Ali has more virtues than Uthman? Even though we're not debating at all that Uthman has the right to be the third Khalifa, he does. Even if Ali has more virtues. They were just saying, has Ali got more virtues or not then? So that discussion existed. What was the conclusion they came to in the end? Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he mentioned, they came to a conclusion in the end. After that analysis and research, they came to a conclusion that actually when you look at everything, the more virtue is actually with Uthman ibn Affan anyway as well. When they looked at it all carefully and they said, in the end, it appears that the more virtuous is Uthman anyway too. Not that it would have made any difference if they came to the conclusion that Ali has more virtue because they were all united and agreed that Uthman has the right to be the third Khalifa regardless. So that was never about the order of the Khilafah. The people of innovation tried to use that and confuse people. They say, look, the people of the Sunnah, the scholars you follow, did they not used to debate about who has the right to be the Khalifa between Ali and Uthman as number three? You tell them absolutely not. They try to use this discussion that occurred and say it was about who has the right to be the Khalifa as number three. It was never about that. They were agreed Uthman is number three full stop. The discussion was just on a different angle. Who has overall more virtues in the hadith and everything mentioned? And even then, they came to the conclusion at the end that it's actually Uthman anyway. So, don't be confused into anybody telling you they used to debate in the olden days whether Ali should have been the third Khalifa. Nobody ever did. That is only the people of deviation who go beyond that even. And they say that Jibreel actually made a mistake and took the revelation to Muhammad Wasallam. He was supposed to take it to Ali. That's what they say. They say Jibreel brought the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam by accident. He was supposed to take it to Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib was supposed to be the last messenger. That's what they say. Complete lies and complete fabrication and complete deviance. So, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi here mentions these four khulafa. And we know they are mentioned as well in the hadith of Al-Arbad al-Nasariyah. Alaykum bi sunnati wa sunnati al-khulafa al-rashidin al-mahdiyin min ba'di. Upon you is to cling to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided caliphs after me. That is in reference to the sahaba, in reference to the khulafa. How long did they remain as leaders? Abu Bakr was first, how many years? Umar next, how many years? Uthman, how many years? Ali, how many years? How many years were each one of them the Khalifa? <coughs> well, are you asking or are you telling us? <laughs> about two years, Abu Bakr. And then what about Umar then? Number 10 years, and what about Uthman then? 12, Uthman, I think. 12? So how many so far? 24. How many for Ali? 
Why do you have to make it 30? Why do you have to make it 30? Why not 35? Why not 40? Why not 28? Why do you have to make it 30? Nice round figure. Absolutely. There is a narration. So, that narration, he mentions it here. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he was in charge for two years and three months. Then Umar for ten years and six months. Approximately, these are approximate. Ten years, six months. Uthman, twelve years. And then Ali, four years and nine months. And that all adds up to 30 years. Uh, Al-Hasan, after Ali was Al-Hasan, six months as well. But all of that uh, uh, ends up to approximately 30 years. And why is that important? Because in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, The caliphate after the prophethood of the prophethood will be 30 years. And so if you add up how long Abu Bakr was in charge, Umar, Uthman, Ali, all that adds up to 30 years. So that is what is mentioned regarding their leadership after that. And we know if you look into the history of it, lots of different events occurred at the time of Abu Bakr when he was the Khalifa, it was one of the main things that occurred during his time. Apostasy. Because after the Prophet ﷺ died, many people began to apostate. There were some people who began to say if he was really a prophet, he would never have died. He would have lived forever. And they apostated. Others began to go back to their religion of shirk. There was a lot of apostasy that happened. There was a, 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 this issue of apostasy at the time of Abu Bakr. And so Abu Bakr Siddiq had to deal with them and uh, fight against them, etc. And there was all that going on with the apostasy issue at the time of Abu Bakr Siddiq. At the time of Umar, it was a lot more towards... What was the big thing going on at the time of Umar? Uh, in a different angle, from a different perspective, what was one of the big things happening during the reign of Umar? It was the spread of Islam. Islam spread far and wide, conquering of all the Middle East areas we know it now. Low, the large areas of those conquerings occurred during the reign of Umar ibn Khattab. When the armies went out and the Islam spread to the northwest, all the various areas, the conquering of the lands, Islam spreading out, a lot of that happened during the time of Umar ibn Khattab. And some of the scholars, they say that dream the Prophet ﷺ had, when he took some water out, and then Abu Bakr came and took just one or two buckets out, Umar came and took tons out. They say one of the interpretations of that is what happened during the Khilafah of Umar. He took lots of water out. It was an indication of lots of the conquering that was going to happen during his Khilafah. Lots of conquering of the lands and Islam spreading everywhere. And then like that you go into all the issues of the Khawaris that happened as well and the killing of, killing of which ones? How did Abu Bakr Siddiq die? How did Umar die? And Uthman? So you know all the stories about that as well, about when Umar was stabbed by Al-Majusi, Abu Lu'lu'ah. And when he stabbed him, he, it was at the time of 
Fajr prayer. When he came in, he didn't just go and stab Umar. When he came in, he was flinging his... Uh, it wasn't a dagger, it was a you know, double-sided dagger. You hold it in the middle, the handle is in the middle, there's a blade this way and a blade that way. He was one of those. So he came everywhere and he killed a few other sahaba too. A few other companions were killed as well. And then he finally stabbed Umar ibn Khattab as well. And they say afterwards he killed himself, etc. But when uh, uh, he stabbed Umar ibn Khattab, Umar ibn Khattab didn't die. He got wounds everywhere, but he survived initially. But the wounds were so severe. They say Umar ibn Khattab afterwards when he was drinking milk, drinking some milk, it was going in and coming out of the wound. Such was the severity of those wounds. But those are other stories regarding the Sahaba. That will be another topic. Take months doing that. But for now, these are what Imam Al-Tahawi mentions, the rightly guided caliphs. They are the rightly guided caliphs. And they are the uh, rightly guided uh, leaders. Then he goes on to mention some of the different levels of the Sahaba. And he says, وَأَنَّ الْعَشْرَةَ الَّذِينَ سَمَّاهُمْ رَسُولَ سَسَلَّمُ وَبَشَّرَهُمْ بِالْجَنَّةِ نُشْهِدُ لَهُمْ وَنَشْهَدُ لَهُمْ بِالْجَنَّةِ عَلَى مَا شَهِدَ لَهُمْ رَسُولُ وَسَسَلَّمْ وَقَوْلُهُ الْحَقُّ وَهُمْ أَبُو بَكَرْ وَعَمَرْ وَعِثْمَانُ وَعَلِي وَالطَّلْحَ وَالزُبَيْرِ وَسَعَدْ وَسَعِيدُ وَعَبْدُ الرَّحْمَنِ بْنِ عَوْفٍ وَأَبُو عُبَيْدَةَ إِبْنَ جَرَّاحٍ وَهُوَ أَمِينُ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ Here basically he mentions the ten who are given the glad tidings of paradise. Mentions the ten who are given the glad tidings of paradise. And there uh, lists them out here as he's mentioned Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Talha, Zubair, Sa'ad, Sa'id, Abdurrahman, Nauf, Abu Ubaidah, Ibn Jarrah. Mentions the ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise. So we testify they are in paradise. Because we mentioned before, remember, the ones who the Prophet testified they are in paradise, we testify they are in paradise by name. Were there others besides these ten? There were. There were others also besides these ten. It wasn't just the ten who were given that testimony of paradise. There were actually others also as well given testimony of paradise. So the ones who were given the testimony of paradise, we mentioned that testimony by name, they are in paradise. The ones who weren't, otherwise we cannot mention testimony by name upon anybody that they're in paradise. So that is mentioned about the ten and there were others like we said. We'll round off on that point for today. It's going to carry on next week talking about the family of the Prophet ﷺ, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. So your homework can be, go and find the names of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. What were the names of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ? So that's what we're going to go on to discuss next week, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, and carrying on into the last few sections of the book, inshaAllah ta'ala. Any questions or anything up to that? Remember this week then as well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a conference in Birmingham, in Small Heath, in the Salafi Masjid, Wright Street, beginning Monday evening at 6.30 p.m., two lectures on Monday evening, tomorrow, tomorrow? Yeah. Tomorrow, that's it, yeah. tomorrow evening, and then Tuesday it'll be a full day, five or six lectures, Wednesday full day, five or six lectures, and the theme of that conference is the Islamic household how to raise the children, about marriage, the rights of the husband, the wife, the Islamic unit, the Islamic family, raising the children, Islamic household, society, the Muslim society, 
That is the type of topic for that conference tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday. So make an effort to attend that. We'll round off on that for tonight then. Uh, next week, same time again, inshallah ta'ala.